The sun was rising as the Queen of Atolia rode into the narrow passage of the Nopent, the hoofbeats of horses echoing behind her like ragged heartbeats. The mist ahead of her, held at the very threshold of the pass by the warm, dry air inland, might have been a solid wall of grey stone. Crossing into it, Atolia found herself alone in a ghostly, pale world as the ground underfoot went from gravel to grass and the hoofbeats behind her slowly faded. She was listening with all her heart, but the only thing she could make out was the squeak of leather tack from the riders she'd brought with her. She sensed their presence on either side, but could no longer see them. "'Your Majesty,' someone on her left called quietly. It was Teleus, and she knew he'd found the first of the dead. She turned her horse in his direction. "'When you show up, but the party's over.' <laughs> "'That's good. Let's use that.' <laughs> Welcome back, wounded soldiers who live to tell the tale. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. Today we are discussing chapter 12 of part 2 of Return of the Thief. So at the beginning of this chapter, Atolia is riding into the aftermath of this battle that's just happened. We don't actually see the battle... Uh, in between the end of the last chapter and the beginning of this one. It's just time jump. They're dead. Uh, lots of corpses, piles of corpses, rows of corpses, scattered corpses, corpses of all varieties. So we're going into this just as blind as Atolia is, which was a really good narrative choice, especially when Ferris... Well, Ferris is really good at picking and choosing what to tell the reader even though you would the in-universe reader wouldn't have the dramatic irony of not knowing if the king lives ostensibly but i love i love the realism in this that she had already prepared herself emotionally she knows that probably everybody's dead she has her voice under control she didn't let edith come the advantage must not be wasted in grieving because um, she and Edith, it's just hidden in a, a little paragraph at the bottom of the next page, had been successful beyond expect beyond all expectations in driving the Meads back. Just like kind of tossing, tossing that in there like, yeah, we just kind of basically started winning. By the way, yeah, but that's not what's important in this moment. Yeah, and I, I just like the contrast between i just feel like this is just such a characteristic way for her to react versus you know i i know i keep bringing up how this book just does so many things differently than other ya literature that depicts war and grief is that so often it's just it's all about the emotion you know what i mean mm -hmm. and this is this isn't negating the emotion it's just saying there's a there's a different perspective to it too she needs to focus on the practicality, which I feel is, I just appreciate that, how realistic that is. Yeah. She's already thinking about his funeral, like the logistics yeah. of it. How long the pyre will burn. Which they, have they talked about funeral practices before? This is the only book that we get in, I think, oh, well, actually, I think maybe in another book there was like a reference to burning the dead, but 
it was like enemy dead. So I kind of assumed it was just because they were the enemy dead that they were being burned, not that pyres are the traditional way to go. But yeah, because I feel like I, I, it's possible they don't usually cremate their dead and are just doing this because it's a, a war situation. But also, maybe they do. Maybe that's their go-to, their go-to funeral. I don't know. Yeah, especially with this idea of a pyre that burns seven days for a high king, you know, giving him more ceremony. And then the Minister of War's pyre burns for three days, I think. Yeah, yeah, that feels very, um, like there's really established practice. Yeah, and then in the in the chapter we saw earlier where Temenus, no, I'm sorry, Stenitis, uh, one of Jen's older brothers, where Stenitis dies, it says, um, I think that he... That Jen and Edith or like somebody went, the Edesians went to go observe sacred rites secret to the Edesians. So they have their own specific cultural practices. Or maybe it was saying that they would observe those rites back in Edith with the body. I don't remember. It was something saying that Edesians have their own cultural practices that are secret, which caught my attention. <laughs> And there are also a few references to Adolia's pregnancy in this chapter, um, saying that when she gets off the horse, she was uh, landing heavily and she was too ungainly to bend down. So her pregnancy's progressing to maybe later stages. It's not something that we've been super aware of. It really doesn't play a huge role in the book. Because we're not with her very much. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that here in this chapter that where this beginning scene definitely is her perspective. It's 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 in there, which is nice. And she's the first one to realize that some of these people on the ground are only sleeping, as she says, and Teleus thinks she's gone crazy. That which is must have been very scary. And starts waking them up. You're only sleeping, Atolius said aloud. Sleeping. My queen, Talaeus, thought he had misheard. She swung down from her horse, landing heavily, catching the captain for balance. They are sleeping, Talaeus. We must wake them. My queen, Talaeus said again, afraid for her. She moved from man to man, crouching over them, shaking, saying, Wake up. Wake up. In, in Talaeus's defense, she could have done that in a less deranged way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also would have been worried. He says that in death... They were anonymous. Um, in he says that in death the dead were anonymous, and there was due like sacred oil and anointing them. We already heard the hoofbeats like ragged heartbeats, and I really like the images that he gives us with this. He also talks about the dew uh, specifically on the minister of war's face. Mm -hmm. Each drop of condensation on his lifeless face, glinting like a diamond in the strengthening light of the day. And the king is next to the minister of war. Oh, and I saw, was it, was it you who pointed this out or was it someone on Tumblr? I feel like it was Tumblr because it hit me in the chest. But it was somebody who pointed out that the king says he wasn't near the minister when he fell. But he is near him. But he is near yeah. him now. So he must have gone to look for his body at the end of the day. There's also lots of talk of how this will be remembered. They're very aware of that. The Minister of War says uh, that Ferris will live to tell the tale and hopefully he won't fill it with nonsense for our great-grandchildren to read. Mm -hmm. And then um, when 
uh, Atolia is talking about the Jen's father's death, the Minister of War's death. Uh, Did your father kill him? Atolia asked, catching at one small detail in the maelstrom of grief. The poets can say so, said the king, his voice hoarse from shouting and from weeping. My father fell early in the day, and Nehusaresh was alive much later than that. I have no idea who killed him. Uh, and so they, they, you know, they, they want to create a, a neater and more satisfying and more romantic version of the story, even as they're still living it. And Ferris, Ferris makes sure to include this in his account. Mm-hmm. Like Ferris, Very meta. Yeah. And I feel like it, it, um, it makes Ferris seem more credible as a narrator because he's saying, well, I could have embellished this but i didn't i'm not a poet i'm I'm not unreliable after this scene when they're back in the camp uh is still alive and still kicking still kicking he tries to leave when he finds out the king is asking for him uh which does not help his image (laughs) the king is determined to learn who helped slow the atolians advance to the pass it says, which answers my earlier question, because I I didn't remember, or I didn't catch, or I didn't know if, if their slow advance had been, um, like, a trick or something. You know, deliberate, but I guess it was. And Sejanus says that a woman met him at the pass and told him to go to the Nopen, and she appeared to be his old childhood nurse, Melisandi. Mm-hmm. So, we can assume, I guess, that that must have been Moira stepping in again. Divine intervention. Divine intervention theme song. <laughs> and like this, this, this little bit where where Eugenides <clears throat> finds out about this bit of divine intervention that he didn't know about and wouldn't have known about if he didn't ask makes you wonder where else the gods have intervened in ways that we don't see. Do you remember earlier, um, I think it was last chapter, whichever chapter had Sejanus and Ferris in it, Sejanus was saying that um, it's important that the king not find out who worked with Arendides, uh to sabotage the war plan because it, like, it, it wasn't really their fault, but also he would, Eugenides would then become another Atolia, just cutting all enemies down indiscriminately and sowing further seeds of hate and like continuing the cycle and whatever. It seems that Atolia also sees this point of Sejanus is that Jen should not have those names because she's the one who links Ferris and Sejanus and says, well, you need to find the one who helped Sejanus first and punish that person. And then it turns out it's Ferris. Yeah. And she knows that. You know, she's looking right at him when she says it. Mm-hmm. Because she knows that if she ties Ferris's fate to Sejanus, then Jen will let Sejanus live. And he'll 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 let the whole thing go. Um, because he has decided that Ferris is part of the in group. Mm-hmm. Ferris steps forward and, and admits to it and says, I did it, break this pot first, which is another reference to that story we don't get. But you can, you can oh, get the meaning. Yeah. yeah. I think of that. The prophet and the potter that Eugenides mentions. Eugenides laughs because he realizes what Atoli is doing. And this is just, uh, she says, turnabout is fair play, referencing how he did this with Teleus 
and Costas mm-hmm. in Queen of Atolia. I was going to ask if the term point blank is an expression that predates guns, but then I remembered that they have guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Foiled again by forgetting that they have guns. It'll get you. It'll get you. And they brought guns to this battle also, even though the battle was like swords as well. Because last chapter, somebody said, referring to Sejanus, don't waste the shot. Yeah. And our next piece of conflict is Jen trying to convince Irene to go home to somewhere safer now that her generaling skills aren't needed since they're doing so well. And she's like, you suck. I can't leave you in charge of this. Like, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> and like he gets, he gets on his knees and he asks her to go back to the palace. Only because after... He'd been tra- yeah, yeah. After Edith makes him, <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't figure that one out on his own. But he I- also like he says, "I'm gonna just stay here and keep asking until you say yes." Like it's it's, it's still a little you know I don't know. <laughs> it's the gesture that counts, I guess. And uh, there's a there's another reason for this. He wants yeah Atolia to go back so that she will be safe, but he also wants. Uh, Atolia and Edis and Sunus to all go back without him so that they can work out their treaty, which is a really big turning point. And it says in there somewhere at, at the end, like, oh, he knew that he couldn't be present for that process. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Just because everybody's kind of fawning over whatever his opinion is the most? Even though his is the least qualified opinion? <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's just, um, it's not his decision to make. Like, it's, it's, uh, like, the, the, the process for how they're going to choose the next High King. Like, he, he, that's up to the three countries as opposed to him. He's kind of this separate thing. Yeah. And he, he and Atolia, they give up the possibility for it to pass to their child by right Mm -hmm. which is very big of them and i think atolia is seeing or hearing moira in this chapter also because in the scene also because it says atolia looking away appeared to be listening to something only Mm -hmm. she could hear so 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 she said at last it is time for me to turn to woman's work i will go my king yeah which i think you know there's a little bit of of uh that's a little tongue-in-cheek for saying that, I think. So it's not its not certain if that was Moira, but I think that would be funny if it was. You know, he asked from the mud, but she had to be told by a literal goddess, maybe. <laughs> he says, A man may do many strange things and not feel he has broken a promise if he keeps his faith with the one to whom he made it. Which he's saying to Atolia, but he's also thinking about Ferris and how Ferris... Uh, you know, he, he freed Sejanus and he seemed to have betrayed him, but Jen trusted that Ferris was acting out of loyalty to him. Mm-hmm. And we find out Edith is also pregnant yeah. in a funny way. Atolia is going back home ostensibly to be safe in a pregnancy and then says, take Edith too. And and Sophos didn't know. <laughs> Everyone but him. He's the last to know. Yeah, Atolia says in this chapter, like glaring, I see we all have each other. 
I see we all have our hands on each other's hearts, as Edith told Jen how to get her to say yes. Ferris is the boss of Sedgenus now. <clears throat> he's head of his house. But he's still a kid. He has no idea what to do, and Natalia has to advise him about what to do with Sedgenus. Yeah, he's nominally in charge. But she doesn't tell him what to do. She just says, maybe you could do this. You know, she's just, she's just giving him some support. <laughs> and is it next chapter the twins are born? I think, I think so. so. Ah! <laughs> That's part two, chapter 12. Next time, the twins are here. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an Amateur Embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.